1: Welcome to Moneymaker, the podcast that gives you the tools to enrich your life in every sense of the word. I'm your host, Nellie Gallan. Let's get started. So Mikey Taylor, I am just so excited to meet you. You know, my stepson is your dear friend, Paul Rodriguez. You both started out skateboarding. And he said to me, this guy is so special because He is the only guy that I know that has evolved in a way that none of us knew how to evolve into entrepreneurship, into real estate investing. And he brought us all along and we've all made so much money and he just grew. He's a grower and he's an evolver. There's no better compliment than that in life because so many of us don't know how to pivot, don't know how to move on, don't know how to see that life is in phases. and. I'm just very proud of you just hearing all about you and so dying to dig deep and how you found all these other sides of you.
0: Thank you. I could already tell this is gonna be a phenomenal conversation we have. And Paul is the best. He's been one of my childhood best friends for ever, almost 20 something years.
1: And listening to all of your videos and digging deep in you, you should know that I have a doctorate in psychology. So I go deep, prepare yourself. Oh, this is gonna be good. We're gonna have a blast. We're going to have therapy here. The thing that came up for me the most, I have to say, maybe because I'm a parent and because when Paul told me that he was quitting high school to go pro, I thought he was insane. And I was like, why can't you just still go to high school and do this? Because as you know, and I know you talk about this a lot, skateboarding wasn't that big of a deal back then. I mean, you guys were at the beginning of it. And it's weird because I was employee one of what became Telemundo. And that's why I did so well. So you guys were like, first to bat in a business that became huge, but I put myself in your parents' shoes. So can you talk a little bit about your entering this field and your parents kind of losing it? In a way, your parents lost it, but in the end, they saved you.
0: Okay. So basically, when I told my parents that I was going to try to attempt to become a professional skateboarder and that I was not going to go to college, they panicked they were incredibly concerned, which now being a father of four, I totally get it. But back then I didn't. It ended up being a blessing. This is basically what my mom and dad were concerned about. And you touched on a couple of things. I was stepping into the unknown where there was probably a higher percentage chance that I didn't become a pro skateboarder. And then even if I did become one, the amount of money I could actually earn was nothing. And then to, you know, bring the stack together, the amount of time that I could be a professional skateboarder was for a very short amount of time. So my parents are looking at me going, you are throwing your future away. Like you need to go to college. During that time, there was a part of what they were telling me that I believed. That was the scary part for me is I also believed that if I didn't go to college, that certain doors that I were hoping would open for me to have a successful life were now going to be closed. And so I was concerned about that as well and why my original plan was I can go skateboard for a few years. I'll travel the world. I'll experience what most people don't get to experience. And then I'll go back to college. And that was my original game plan. So that's good that you thought that. Yes, but then you mentioned, which is what happened, the skateboard industry erupted. It went bonkers on us.
1: Yeah, but wait a minute. One of the things I liked about hearing your story is it also sounded like when you first started, and Paul had never told me this part of it, I think more even than Paul or anybody else, you hustled because the money wasn't naturally there. Like, I think in analyzing your story, you first became an entrepreneur in skateboarding because you say that you started making videos, you sent them to everyone and their mother. I mean, you kind of cold called. So let's talk about your cold calling part because I think that that's a very important part of your trajectory that we can't underestimate.
0: Basically, when I was 16, my parents started putting pressure on me to get a job. And I was so obsessed with skateboarding, similar to Paul, that I didn't want anything to get in the way from my ability to continue skating. So I came up with this plan and basically pitched it to my parents that if I could get companies to give me free product, and then I could use that product to sell to my friends for money, then that should be good enough to not have to get a traditional job. And my mom said, yeah, go for it. You could do that. Okay, fine.
1: You had good parents.
0: I had good parents. So I convinced one of my friends who had a video camera to film me. We spent maybe six months building a little like sponsor me tape. And then I went through the magazines and I took any address that a company included when they ran an ad. And I basically, you got a tape for me, attention team manager, sponsor me. And so I sent 30 or 40 tapes out. I didn't get one call back. And so I called the filmer again. I said, we got to do a better video. We made another video sent another 40 out. And then I got three companies that ended up sponsoring me. And that became my side hustle or my little hustle for those two years until high school ended. And then I moved into what we were originally talking about.
1: And you also explained that back then there wasn't like video like today in social media. So you had to actually make the tapes, send them out. By the way, I did similar things. So that's why I really related to that. And then you said you didn't even make that much money from the sponsors.
0: No, I didn't. So my first break, I was making 800 bucks a month, $500 from one sponsor, 300 from the other.
1: So you had to really live beneath your means, which I think was the second thing that you did in entrepreneurship that gave you skills to later be an entrepreneur.
0: One of the things that my parents really pushed me on when I decided not to go to college was to get help financially. Like they really wanted me to have a financial advisor, which was so funny because imagine a 19 year old kid who's making $800 a month going to financial advisor and go, help me with my money, right? <laughs> well, I had one guy who did and he took like a big brother approach with me, like really spent time educating me. And he asked me a question at an age in which I had never heard and didn't know how to respond. And that was, when do you want to become financially free? What is your financial freedom number? And I was like, you're talking a different language to me. And so just that one question, then him explaining it helped me begin the process of reverse engineering, basically where I ultimately wanted to go and how I was going to get there. And that led to me realizing I'm not making any money. And then each year as I started making more, I still wasn't making enough to get me to that goal that I wanted to get to. And so our original plan was basically for me to live like I was broke. It was to bring my expenses as far down as possible and then to leave them there as I started making more money so that I could actually put firepower or actual ammo to work to hit that goal.
1: I always say, I say to my son, I said to Paul, I say to everybody that I talked to and that read my book, I say, I think that you don't realize that sacrificing is not suffering that sacrificing for a big goal and seeing that goal. And that's what you did, right? It's that sacrifice. And you don't even have to sacrifice that many years, but you got to get to the place where you have a chunk of money. And that's what happened to you.
0: That's exactly right. Yep.
1: So when you went pro, like the other thing I loved about your story, which I think is very true and nobody says to young people is you have this goal. And like, for me, it was being president of a network. And for you, it was, you know, going pro and that you then get it and you're like, This isn't all that. Like, it's great, but it doesn't fill you as much as you thought. And you realize that the goal has to be bigger and it is around freedom. Can you talk about that? Because I thought that was very powerful.
0: Yes. So now we're going to go into the psychology of things.
1: Yes, because it's ego versus other stuff.
0: Correct. One thing I do want to start with and give my parents a huge amount of credit When I was growing up, they always made me believe that I could accomplish whatever I set out to do as long as I was willing to go through the entire process to get there. I had a foundation that was built upon, I wanna do it, it's possible. You know, when you're young, your expectation of where the ceiling is is usually a little bit small. Like the idea of becoming a pro skateboarder was out of this world. Well, then you end up getting into it. And I had this goal to ultimately become, you know, I wanted my own skateboard, I wanted my own shoes, I wanted my own apparel line. Then you get into it and the realization that our industry is actually really small and you know, you set a goal and then you don't only hit the target but you bounce off the ceiling, that feeling actually sucks. That's something that not a lot of people talk about. Like getting to your highest of dreams and then looking around going, okay, now what? And then that's also mixed with another thing and this is where I think you were referring to. A lot of times, drivers or people that are really good at putting out a lot of output, we're usually chasing something. And in my case, especially knowing my love language now, I felt really good. And I still do feel really good when I'm accomplishing. When I'm making steps towards something, I feel valuable, I feel important, etc. And there's this thing that happens when you hit that final goal and you still don't feel good inside, you realize that there might be something that you actually need to address and you may be chasing it in other avenues. And this is something that's really common with money. We see a lot of our favorite entrepreneurs who are, let's call them billionaires or wherever you wanna go, they're always chasing something. And then you look at all these other aspects of their life and it's broken. Most marriages, no relationship with kids, health isn't there. So it really brought me to a place of having to look around and go, what does true success look like? And am I chasing something to fix something inside that just will not solve?
1: Yeah, that's deep stuff. The other thing you talk about, which I thought was so important is grandiosity. That sometimes we only get high from thinking, I'm gonna do this very big thing. And you forget that the building blocks every day. And you talk a lot about skateboarding as a metaphor for that, that like the beauty of skateboarding in terms of, the parallel track to entrepreneurship is that you have to just make a move in skateboarding and then you do it and you fail at it and you got to try it again and you fail at it. And then it's like, it's such a, like feeling successful just to try it every day in little baby steps. And I think sometimes young people think that if they're not accomplishing something grandiose, it doesn't count or it doesn't fill them. And can you talk about that, that you had so many More than anyone I've heard, maybe other people have had it, but they don't talk about it. Really focus on the baby steps that got you to where you were going. And I just connected the dots with all the skills you were gaining to then make you succeed in entrepreneurship.
0: You know, you'll hear people like Gary V say, like, fall in love with the process. And that's really what it is for me. I guess it's going back to what you originally said. When you hit your actual goal, it doesn't feel as good as what you're hoping for. But the process to get there, I loved, like, There was something that I really enjoyed, especially when Paul and I were kids, where the mission was, we're going to become pro skateboarders. And because of that, every day before school, we'd skate for an hour before school. Lunch, we'd leave, skate for an hour. After school, we'd meet, skate for four hours. There was this mission that drove what we were doing each day to get us closer. That's the stuff that's really fun for me. It just took me a while to realize that. The same thing actually happened when we started St. Archer. And I'll try not to jump real quick, but this will make sense. We started a craft brewery, me, Paul, and our friend Josh Landon. And when we started it, it was brutal. There were so many like moments where we were like, oh my gosh, what are we going to do? We're screwed. We're going to go out of business. Three and a half years later, we end up selling our business to Molson Coors, right? We had a huge exit. Well, me, Paul, and Josh, you know what the only things we talk about today? those moments that were difficult where we almost lost the brand, the moments that were so uncomfortable when we are in it, that's the stuff that we remember. And looking back, that's the stuff we're like so happy that we are a part of. So I think it's just that refining fire moment that once you look at challenge and adversity as an opportunity to improve and and make you better, your outlook when you go into those situations just changes.
1: So let's go back a little bit before that happened. You say that your goal was to make it as a pro skateboarder, maybe three years, yes. maybe if we were lucky five years, because there was no model for someone doing better than that. And that even with the money you were making, which might've sounded like a lot, like maybe you were making a hundred grand or, you know, six figures in the span of a short career, it's really no money at all, which is why you had to live so beneath your means. And that you kept outperforming yourself, like in your wildest dreams, you didn't think you'd get to 10 years because there was nobody that did it. And then all of a sudden, the business you're doing, it's just like me with, I'm in a drinky dinky Spanish TV station and it becomes Telemundo. And all of a sudden I'm making money in a business that was kind of tacky and then it became cool. So tell us about that part of the trajectory and then how you transitioned out of that or or started thinking, and you talk a lot about the brewery that you thought it was going to be your whole career. So talk about that whole period. So I can
0: see why you are who you are, what you've built because of it. You're phenomenal at this.
1: Thank you.
0: So basically, the first three years of pro skateboarding, it was small and we weren't making a lot of money. A big disruptor that happened for us was Tony Hawk. When Tony Hawk put out his video game, skateboarding kind of got put onto a, a much larger platform. And then all of the sudden, for the first time, people who didn't skateboard were buying skateboard stuff. They wanted to look and feel like they were part of the culture. And because of that, the company started making more money. And Paul and I went from like scraping by to, oh my gosh, like we're doing pretty good. When that happened, my perspective changed a little bit. And it no longer became, I'm gonna do this for three years and go back to college. The perspective now was, how do I do this for 10 years? How do I maximize on all of the opportunity in front of me? And then the add-on was, okay, if I'm not going to college, I better figure out how to make this catapult me into the next thing, as opposed to this ultimately being the reason in which I never lived my life afterward. That fear and concern was a big driving factor for me. It was, do not lose this opportunity. And that was why I started living off nothing. And that's really what drove me towards starting my first business, which happened to be with Paul, which was phenomenal. But that was a big factor. The other thing you touched on was, skateboarders might make a little bit of money, but our careers are so short-lived that it becomes a challenge. For athletes in general, we have like a Benjamin Button type of thing going on, where we're earning our highest potential when we're younger. And then on the pay scale, we're basically trending downward, where everyone else is the opposite. They get through college, they're interning, they're entry-level job, they're barely scraping by. And all of that is to position yourself for your 40s and 50s, which are typically your highest income earners, right? And then you add on top of that, that our skill set is riding a skateboard. So what happens for a lot of athletes, but more specifically, skaters is the longer we stay in the industry, the harder it is to exit and the more damaging the rest of our life becomes. It's actually a very complex situation that we all are trying to figure out. And then Paul and I were just part of that generation where we started making more money and this you know, life afterwards being good actually became an option.
1: Okay, but let's talk about the kind of the metaphor of the skating in terms of for young people today, like you were in an emerging business, right? Right. When you're employee one of an emerging business or when you are an athlete, I mean, you're not in a saturated thing. The truth is we have to talk about that for young people because sometimes, like for me, I was a reporter at CBS. I thought I was the bomb. And then I get offered to go be employee one of a rinky dinky TV station. And I was scared to make the jump, but I knew that here I was like a small fish in a big pond. And here I'd be a big fish in a small pond. The importance of aligning with an emerging business, which then you did again, because when you guys did the brewery, that was an emerging business it's not always in life that you catch a wave, so to speak, twice or three times. So you may not have known to call it that, but let's talk about that, about parents being afraid, people being afraid, I being afraid, you might've been afraid, but the value of not being in a saturated situation.
0: It's a really good point you brought up. And it's twofold because it's for entrepreneurs and it's also for employees as well. It's for all of us, Right. If you're an entrepreneur and you're building something, you know, we talk about red ocean, blue ocean, where red ocean is saturated. And what you're trying to do is take a concept that may be in red ocean and make it unique so that you become blue ocean or you don't have a mess of competition around you, right? Right. So that's one part of it for employees or people that are gonna be building their career working for other companies. The same thing is at play. And this is when they start referring to the golden handcuffs. There's a peace at mind when you can count on a check coming, right? And when you are employed by somebody that is more peaceful and a lot of the bigger companies will lock you into a solid paycheck by leaving a bigger company to work for a small startup, you are taking risk. Mm -hmm. You are taking risk that that company is going to go away and that that check that you're hoping for is no longer going to be there but with risk comes reward. And what that also does is gives you the opportunity to be on the ground floor. And then as the company builds, you now get to grow in all of the growth. And then you go from making a little bit of money to way more than everyone else who stuck with it in the maybe more long-term career. So just look at the world through the lens of risk and return. And when you're young, you have time. This is when you should be taking on the risk. When you want to take on this risk when you're in your 50s or 60s, it's actually a lot harder. So, Gen Z, young millennials, this is your time to take
1: risks 1000%. So, when you started the brewery, the other thing that you talk about, I mean, the truth is you had a lot of financial literacy by then. Thank you to your parents that they kind of put you on that, even more than Paul. Like Paul said to me, I followed Mikey, right? So, the other thing in entrepreneurship is having an idea having the confidence and the financial literacy to also bring others along. Not everyone is the founder. Paul says to me, like, thank God that I followed Mikey. Right. So you also have to have the personality to bring people along with you that believe in you. And that is the personality of a founder, but also people should realize that you could be the number two guy, the number three guy who's investing or has another skill set. Like maybe they're the influencer with you or that they can make money too. not Everyone has to be the founder. So can you talk about that?
0: Yes, it's a really good point. I'm actually going to highlight Paul on this one. Paul often talks about him having influences in his life, right? He'll talk about Bruce Lee. He'll talk about Jay-Z. When we were kids growing up, all Paul would talk about was owning everything that he was representing. It was a Jay-Z model to hip hop. And Paul was trying to implement that in his career with skateboarding. Now, that was before all of our time. When he was doing that, I didn't understand it. We were kids and he was talking about owning, you know, companies that he was marketing. What Paul would do, which was very special, is he would take ownership or be a part of the entity, but then put people in place that would run it or drive it or even found it at times so that Paul got to use his influence to help build the total brand, but he didn't have to be involved in the day-to-day of running it. He's smarter than me. It's very, very brilliant. And a lot of people actually miss this one. If you're looking at like current influencers, right? Most influencers will just take a brand deal to have a quick check, but they have the same ability that Paul had, which was take equity in the brands that you're building and get that ownership and let someone else run it.
1: And he even put money into it. So in other words, he didn't just take equity and say, I'm going to invest in you. And he would say to me, I'm going to double down on my investment."
0: Right. So Paul is a unicorn in some ways, right? Paul kind of does it all. Paul will take equity just to represent a brand. Paul will invest in the brand and represent it. And Paul, in my perspective, could start something as well. That's rare, but it's a hundred percent at play. You can invest in things. If you have influence, you should invest and use your influence to grow the chance of that company succeeding. If you're an operator, start companies. It's yes, 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 and yes.
1: So you, though, as a founder, we're able to bring Paul and other people on. And you have to do that as an entrepreneur. So do you feel like all of that stuff that you did, I mean, obviously you went to friends first, but that you knew how to cold call. You knew how to ask for money. You knew how to get people on board with you. And that's part of being a founder.
0: The answer is yes, but there's some nuance to it. One thing about me, I was given this gift. I got it from my grandma. My grandma was an unbelievable storyteller. When my grandma would talk, She'd grab people's attention, and that attention she was able to, to move around, right? Ever since I was young, I've been able to do that. And so I had this skill set of capturing attention. What I had to learn was how to use that skill set to then pitch investors, how to cold-call people, how to basically articulate a message that people will trust in me and then want to move forward, right? So that's a big part of it. The trump card, or the thing that you have to really understand is You can talk people into doing things with you, but then you have to deliver. If you don't deliver, everyone will leave and it doesn't take long for your reputation to become discredited. Then it becomes very, very difficult to do this. So it's a two step approach. On the second side of it, if you are not an operator or an integrator, it's really important to know that you don't have to be. You just need to bring the person on that is right. Business is all team sport. It's bringing on a team. So just make sure you have the people around you so that the collective body has everything covered. You don't have to do it individually.
1: Hold on. Moneymaker will be right back. Let's get back to the show. Okay, so you start this brewery and you say, I really thought this was going to be my career the rest of my life. Like you didn't think of it as, a transactional, you know, startup, you thought, I think this is a great gig for me to run a brewery. Right. And the thing went so well that three years later you sold it. Like it was so much money that you couldn't say no. Right. And then you said you had like another crisis of like, what the hell am I going to do with the rest of my life? So talk about that. And then how you started Commune Capital, what it's about and how you found that to be your next Holy Grail
0: when we talk about skateboarders having to figure out what life afterwards is, right? The challenge we have is we had a passion turn into a career, right? We love what we do and then we got paid to do it. So figuring out what's next, isn't just about making money. It's about enjoying whatever it is you're going to do. And I didn't know what that was, right? When we started the brewery, I was like, okay, I did it. I solved it. This is what we're going to do. And at that time, Josh Landon and I, who was our other partner, We're talking about what our relationship was gonna be as I completely phased out of skateboarding, right? Because at that time, I was splitting my time about 50-50. And so that was the whole plan. When St. Archer sold, it sold probably seven years before we even thought we could have the conversation. It happened quick, which was a blessing. But all of a sudden, what I thought my second life or what Retirement 2.0 was gonna look like was gone, I had to then solve that problem again. And it wasn't coming to me. That was the scariest part. And you had money. I had money. I was married. I had two kids. I had options. So that was the blessing of this all, right? I had no idea what I wanted to do. And I was miserable. It was the worst feeling of my life. It's just like being miserable and not knowing what to do, which really meant I didn't know my identity and I didn't know my purpose. And so I spent a year trying to find myself. All I would say was, I have to find Mikey Taylor. I have to find myself. Who this is, this isn't me, right? After a year of soul searching, I ran through the whole entire Bible. I'd never written the Bible before. I was doing anything I could to figure out who I was and why I was here. And that slowly started becoming a reality where all of a sudden I was like, oh my gosh, this thing I had been chasing for so long, I now know what I was missing, right? And once I got to that place, I was then able to find the next career that I wasn't creating to fill the void. I was finding the next career to then put to the side of me so that I could live my purpose with my company with me. That makes sense.
1: And you connected with the brother of the original financial guy that helped you learn about finance. Talk about that. Like how did it all come together?
0: After St. Archer, I learned about business, right? I didn't know much before that. I learned how to build a business plan. I learned how to raise capital. We learned how to build a brand. When I came up with the idea for Commune Capital, and I'll explain what it is, but prior to that, I started building out the business plan. And I wanted it to ultimately be an opportunity for people to invest with what I was investing in. I wanted it to be in real estate. So it was going to be a private equity real estate firm. And I also wanted it to be an educational vehicle. I wanted to teach people about money and investing the same way I was taught from my mentor, right? So I build out my whole business plan all the way to like how it's gonna be marketed, the platforms, et cetera. There was a blank page. And that blank page was fund management. How do you create a fund? Who manages the fund? There were all these question marks. And so I called my mentor, Randy, Hey, I need a meeting with you. I need to present this idea. He's like, yeah, sure. So I walk in, I give him my business plan. I'm running through it. And he's asking me all these questions. Well, we get to the page, right? What's up with this page? I'm like, Randy, I don't know about fund management. Can you educate me here? Who do I need to go hire? Who do I need to bring onto this team so that we can build out this vision? And he's just like pauses, He's thinking about it, right? And he goes, do you mind if I take this business plan and just kind of think about it? We can meet next week. I was like, yeah, sure. Take your time. So next week I meet with him, except this time it's him. It's his brother. It's his dad. And I'm like, what's up guys? And then he basically pitched the idea of us starting this company together. For more context, his brother ran a private equity firm that was investing in storage units. They also had a debt portfolio that I had been investing in almost my whole career. That's basically how it started.
1: So now you're in mission and money, because I also know for you, it's very important to give back and I know you teach financial literacy and you do it online and you have this whole, what is it, fire movement that you've got going on, which is financial independent retirement. I love it because you're trying to give back. I try to do that with minorities because I feel like this is like the big secret in America right. that doesn't get taught to anybody in school. And in the end, it's the most important thing that we should all be learning, right? Right. So how have you connected all the dots? And now you're a councilman member. You ran for accounts because you want to change your community. So talk about that. You're very holistic, dude. Very holistic.
0: Yeah, so that's so good. Okay, we'll start with you touching on the importance of us learning and giving back, right? When I went to school, I always thought I was going to school to learn how to make money. That's what I thought school was for. Surprise! Yeah, exactly. And what really shattered me, I don't go to college. Because of that, my mom forces me to get help I have one person come into my life, changes everything for me because he empowered me and educated me, right? Then I become a successful pro skateboarder. We start the brewery, we sell the brewery. I'm sitting here in you know the darkest time of my life and I'm getting phone calls from my friends who are still skateboarding going, how are you not scrambling to survive? How are you not skateboarding? You have no job and you're doing this. And I was blown away with how shitty that feeling felt. The fact that I'm depressed here trying to figure out who I am, my friends are calling me going, how did you do this? It was this overwhelming feeling. And it forced me to look back over the last 20 years to really break down why I was in the position I was in. And in the beginning, we talked about financial freedom or my financial freedom number and reverse engineering it. Well, now I'm doing the same thing going, why am I here? What got me here? And one of the key components to it was somebody teaching me about money And then me having opportunity to invest in right and once i understood that it was oh my gosh i have something that i haven't been giving out like this is something that i don't talk about a lot so we'll just touch on it here the skateboarding industry is very critical they're anti almost everything and you don't talk about trying to be successful you don't talk about trying to make money so you know paul and i and we had a couple other friends we would talk about business and money like in the corner when no one was watching. We were living like these alter ego or these second lives, right? When my career ended and then all of a sudden I'm in a good position, I started feeling bad that I never told more people about what I was doing. And so I was like, you know what? I'm going to dead that. Like This is going to be a U-turn. I'm going to scream from the mountains. I'm going to give it to anybody who's willing to take it. And I'm going to basically give everyone the blueprint that got me here. And so I started doing it with social media. Our whole company, at least from the social output, is all based around that. And it feels awesome. Like it feels really good giving something to people that is of need. It's something that everybody's desiring. It's just something that we're not given.
1: One of the things that Paul also told me about you is that you have an unbelievable mate. Mm. And going back to a well-rounded life, because I, like you, I mean, I've worked for eight billionaires who then became my clients? I turned them into my clients, and like you said, you know, you realize that if you focus on making money and that's your only focus, you're gonna get there, but that doesn't mean you're gonna be happy and you let a lot of things fall through the cracks and I think i I too, in my career, let a lot of things fall through the cracks. correct. The importance of also realizing that you wanted to have a well-rounded life and the importance of a mate that not only supports you but pushes you in the right direction right.
0: Okay, so- He
1: brought it up.
0: Yep, here we go. If we're looking at our parents, right? Our parents are people. So they give us you know, views of things that they do really well. And they also give us views of things that they struggle with. Same thing that that my wife and I are giving our kids, right? So that's all of us. One thing that my parents gave me that was a blessing. And I think why this was such a high priority for me when I was trying to find somebody to ultimately marry. My parents had a phenomenal relationship. They didn't have a perfect relationship. I watched my parents fight but I watched my parents heal through it and work through things to build their relationship up. My example of marriage was one that was very healthy and it was a refining fire moment with them. And the blessing that I got from having a dad and having a mom around 24 seven that helped build me up, I just looked at that as valuable. And so I wanted that. When I you know, was young and I'm dating girls and in the beginning, I was only focused on one thing, it was how girls look. I want somebody who I'm really attracted to, right? I want the hottest, that's all I focused on. And every person that I dated, it felt like I was missing something. Like I wanted a woman to challenge me as well. And so who ended up becoming my wife, she was the one person that I had known forever, who I thought was beautiful, who I respected, and who I thought would build me up the same way I wanted to build her up. And so we started dating and, it was a mess in the beginning. I was traveling the world. It was hard. I thank God every night that she didn't leave me and we ended up, you know, getting married and now we have kids. But she is by and large the person on this planet that knows me better than anyone and also my most valuable asset. It's the person I want to spend my time with, but she's also the person that I run hard issues over. Like, babe, what do we do here? Like, like, what do you think about this? And I completely trust her opinion. When I'm struggling with things. So that's huge. That's everything. And then that bleeds off into our kids, right? Like it is our job to build our kids to be the next leaders in their community. And so that pushes me to not only be a better dad, but I wanna be a good husband for my kids because I want my kids to see, at least for my girls, what a man looks like. And that's, I think, where they're gonna end when they're looking for that, or vice versa. This is what a couple looks like for my son. I want him to see what a woman looks at, all of these things are at play. So it's more important than the rest in my perspective, but they all have to work together.
1: And then how about this whole thing about your community and being a council member and deciding to really take the city you live in and turn it into a better place? How important is that for you?
0: This is the new venture. I ran for city council for the November 8th election, my first time ever getting involved in local politics. Never cared for politics at all. I always stayed out of it. I, I thought it was petty and divisive and I, I was just never drawn towards it. My wife and I both grew up in our area, right? Born and raised here. Because I turned 18 and I started traveling. I was gone six months of the year since I was 18. I wrapped around the world eight, nine times before I was 25. My wife, when she turned 18, she couldn't wait to leave. I want to go to San Diego. She went to school in San Diego. I want to go to France. I want to go to jo- she wanted to get out. Right. Well, we end up starting to date later on, and then we start having kids. And, you know, our area where we grew up is phenomenal for young kids. It really is good. So we stayed. Lately, my wife has just been kind of talking over the last few years like, what if we looked at other places? Like, there's a thing we're missing in our community. Basically, from 20 to 45, there's not a ton to do. Right. We don't have a lot of amenities. If my wife and I want to go do something, we're usually going up north or down south. Right. And so my wife just started talking about that. Like, what if we went to places where there's more to do for us? I didn't like that conversation. I love where I live. This is my home, right? And so basically the optimist that I am, I'm like, babe, instead of us complaining about what we don't have, why don't we create it? Like, why don't we be a part of the change and the things that we're missing we will actually make steps to bring to life. And she goes, yeah, okay. How are you going to do that? And I was like, gosh, darn it. What does that mean? You know, all jokes aside, we started looking at ways for us to get involved in the community. And for me, I'm running a business, which is incredibly difficult and takes a lot of time. I didn't want to take time away from what I was doing here. And I was also looking at ways that I could introduce my skill set to maybe create some of this change. City Council was the perfect one in my perspective. It wasn't full time, it's the business of a city. You're talking about budgets and contracts and real estate, and it's Nonpartisan. You don't run as a Democrat or Republican. I ran as a business owner. So I kind of like that as well. And that's what I'm doing. I'm trying to give myself and my family and as many of our residents as little reasons as possible to ever leave. That, that would be at it, its most simplest fact.
1: So I want to leave everybody listening with one thought, which is what I'm hearing from you. You're a very introspective guy. You're always looking inside and going, Why is this happening? What's my purpose? What's my mission? What's missing? Talk about the importance of that. To be a money maker, which is what this show is about, it's not just focusing on making money, it's constantly looking within and being able to tell yourself the truth, which might be, Okay, I'm doing the wrong thing. I have to change. I have to pivot. I have to grow. Can you talk about that for young people?
0: Something that I learned is. One, I always want to be improving. I want to be better. I want to finish this race better than I started. But, and here comes the challenge that not a lot of people talk about. Ryan Holiday wrote the book, Ego is the Enemy. Your ego gets in your way so many times, right? So you're trying to balance, like, not letting your ego stop you from growing. What I mean by that, and I think there's a parable about this, that the fool can't hear criticism. You have to be able to hear criticism from others Discern through that and find out what out of that information is valid that you can correct and approve upon. Or maybe a more relevant one is when you're having conversations with people, if you're having conversations as if they have the secret to something you don't have, and that's how engaged you are, all of that ends up putting you in a position where you're getting better every day. And what's going to happen for young people, Gen Z, let's say you're 20 years old right now, right? If you follow this model, What's going to happen is by the time you're 30, you're not going to recognize the person you were at 20. Mm. And then the thing you need to be careful of, when you start going down this path, it's going to challenge a lot of your relationships. This is the hard part about it. A lot of people around you are not going to be comfortable with what you're doing and the pace in which you're changing. In my perspective, it becomes your job to then be the leader to push everyone up with you. Now, there are going to be people that fall off. That's okay. But I think it's your job to go, we can do this together. Take that leadership role, bring people up. And now all of a sudden you look around and you're doing life the way you want to do with the people you love.
1: That's beautiful. Okay, one last one before we go. We are about to enter very difficult times economically. You are in a new business, relatively new business. You are in real estate, which may go down. So can you talk a lot about the silver lining, even when things crash? I mean, I come from a communist regime. My parents, we had to leave the country. I have a lot of trauma around all this. And yet I know the greatest fortunes are made in horrible times. You're human, so you must have some moments where you go, shit, I'm in real estate right now. You know, this might take a tanker for a while. Can you talk about the silver lining and how we have to be optimists even in a moment where the country is gonna go through hell.
0: Yes, yes. I learned this in 2008, the great financial crisis. This is the first time I went through a economic downturn, let alone one of the most severe that we have in you know the last hundred years. When that happened, I had my mentor, but there was no social media and everyone around me was in panic mode, right? I'm watching my friends, I'm watching my family. Everyone's talking about how much money they lost and it's dark and it's scary. That absolutely wore off of me. I was panicking as well. I called Randy and per beta, Randy, what the hell is going on? How much money have we lost? We need to sell everything. I cannot lose more money, right? And it was panic time. And I'll never forget what he said to me. And if anyone is going to take anything, I say, please let it be this. He said, Mikey, not only are we not selling anything, but we plan for times like this. We're about to start buying. And I remember listening to him going, what are you talking about? We're not gonna buy. And he goes, Mikey, trust me, we're gonna buy. And I remember going, all right, you haven't let me down yet, let's go. And all of a sudden, we start acting as if this is an opportunity, not a nightmare. And this is what happened. Two years, three years go by, and all of a sudden, I'm making money. My wealth is starting to grow at a pretty crazy rate, right? And the other thing, I'm starting to watch my community or friends around me still talking about how much money they lost. And I was now embarrassed to talk that I was making money. It was hard to go through. What that did for me is it made me look at times like this as opportunity, right? That's the first part. The second part, it forced me to now really understand that these are cyclical. They're gonna happen over and over for the rest of our life. And we wanna plan for them. So as you move into what you were talking about real estate or our business, when we're buying real estate, if we're going more specifically into real estate, there's one thing that we know for sure, that there will be a correction. We just don't know when. And so when we're buying, we're thinking of that in our hold period. If we're holding for 10 years, there will be a correction in that. What does that do to our asset? Right. So you want to be thinking about these things before you buy. Going even more niche, and this will be good. Even if you're not a real estate investor, this will help you looking at everything. We take a very holistic approach, which is supply and demand, right? When we're going to make an investment, we want to know that that investment, let's say an apartment building is going to have demand for the next 10 years. Will people rent this apartment for the next 10 years? If the answer is yes, and we've removed, you know, as many of the risks that will make us lose our asset along the way, we don't care what happens in the interim. Doesn't matter. There's a downturn. Doesn't matter. Interest rates rise. It doesn't matter. We sit and participate in cash flow, and there's nothing that's forcing us to sell.
1: So it's a math formula. You have to be cold about the math formula
0: working. You nailed it. This is something really important. Thank you for helping me simplify this. Investing is boring. Investing is boring. It's like watching paint dry on a wall or somebody cutting the grass. That is investing done well. If you're having fun investing and it's very exciting, there's pretty much a 99%
1: chance you're gambling. You're going to lose your shirt. It's emotional then. Exactly right. I say this all the time. I go, math doesn't lie. And everything in your life can't be dramatic. Some things have to be cold. Right. I'm going to leave with one thing that you said, because I think it is a metaphor. And I think when we do whatever, whether we work as a bartender or this or that, people don't realize that that's your business school. You have to be taking note of everything. And you say that in skateboarding, one of the greatest things you learned was that in skateboarding, obstacles are opportunities. And that is a great metaphor in business. So how is learning all these skills you learned in skateboarding, I think have come to play in your entrepreneurial life.
0: Yeah, 1000%. 1000%. So the two are, I I mentioned resilience. With skateboarding, You know, the first trick I ever learned was an Ollie. It took me, I don't know, six to nine months of trying it all day, every day, until I landed it once, right? So that's six months, hours on hours, each day of failure to experience one feeling that was good one time, right? And then every other trick you learn on top of that is that example. So what it did was really implemented this view that is, if I'm willing to go through torture, I get to experience the blessing at the end of it, right? The second thing it did is in skateboarding, you have that component mixed with fear and pain, right? It's scary jumping down handrails and it hurts when you fall. And it made me very comfortable in a chaotic environment, right? In business, what they don't tell you. For, so for all the young people listening that are going to start a business, <laughs> what they don't mention is it feels as if your business is failing almost every day. It's such a bipolar roller coaster where you have a high one day and then you think it's going out the next, right? And everything around you is going to make you feel like it's not working and it's not meant to be. The secret to entrepreneurship is getting past that every single day and just looking at what problem needs to be solved. If that is all you're there to do, you're actually going to have a successful business that's here for a long time.
1: I feel like your mom. I'm so proud of you. The man that you've turned out to be and evolved into. I can't wait for my son to hear this podcast. And I'm just so happy that you have been such a good friend to my stepson, Paul, and that he just admires you so much and that I get to spend time with you and that you are such a moneymaker with mission and purpose, which is all the ingredients that one needs to have a good life.
0: That's right.
1: So proud of you and so happy to know you.
0: Thank you. It means the world. And I'm as equally as big of a fan as Paul as well.
1: Thank you. Moneymaker is a production of Money News Network. Moneymaker is written and hosted by me, Nellie Galan. Our executive producer is Morgan Lavoie. Thanks for listening. See you next time.